0: Welcome from Tiffin Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy this message. Just to kind of refresh your memory, the microphone is not there to increase my volume. That doesn't need any help. It is there because these sermons are on Tiffin Baptist's website. So if there's ever a moment you don't make church and uh, you want to waste a good hour of your time, you can dial in there and listen to them. Believe it or not, I listen to myself because... I need to remind myself there's certain things I should and shouldn't say. (laughs) Every time I listen to it, I was like, that probably wasn't something I should have said. (laughs) And uh, it's good for when I get to the point where I'm writing a new sermon. Well, we are going to be in James chapter 4, the last part of chapter 4. My best guess, we have one... 2 3 maybe 4 more lessons four more sunday mornings in james and uh i've i've already done 3 of the 4 i have one more left to do sermon wise and i like where it's going i'm i'm excited to preach you guys this this section today this is one of my favorite sections and i was um me and my wife were visiting last night and she brought up the point, she goes, I think it's this section in James, she goes, I remember when I was younger, and I was listening to a preacher, and he said that it was a sin to lay your clothes out for the next day. And she said for her whole life, she did not lay her clothes out for the next day until, when did you say? Until we had kids. And she said, this is stupid. I'm (laughs) playing. is too much work in the morning. And I just thought, and then I looked at it and I said, well, that's, that is not how it's going to go this morning. And it breaks my heart that there's people that take God's word and they, they twist it into that, that kind of nonsense. And I'm, I'm going to say that what my wife heard preached completely missed the point of what we're going to hit in James 4:13 through 17. Uh, I hope you are still messing with booklets. I hope you're finding uh, maybe a little bit better connection with God's word than maybe what you've had. In the past, if I was to give you a forecast, after James, I'm thinking Jonah, the book of Jonah. I I just recently did a study on it, and I'd like to go with it, go through it with you guys. And then after that, I'm not sure uh, what book is next on my mind. I've got several: Ecclesiastes, Galatians, one of the Gospels. I've got several that I'd love to go through. Acts. Anyway. Having said that, this section on James is about planning and I've got a few questions I threw up there for you guys that we could have as a kind of a topic of conversation. Uh, Are you a planner or a wing it type person? Like does everything have to be planned out or do you just pretty much shoot from the hip? So which is it? Type A, Type B? What are you laughing about Debbie? You 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 plan on not planning. I'm a planner, he never plans. He never plans. Benny, do you never plan like ever or there's no, some that's not true there's so it, see here's the deal. It 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 depends on what it is for me. Like if it's my classroom, I'm planning. Because there's no way I'm letting those natives get restless. Because a, a poorly planned classroom, it basically just turns into like a revolutionary war. And it, there's no way I'm going to be able to keep anything on track that day. So I mean, if it's my classroom, I plan. But if it's vacation, yeah, I'll, I'll look at my wife and say, hey, plan out a couple days. But then there's some days we don't have anything planned because we just want to, it's vacation, be lazy. Like wake up whenever you feel like it, fall back asleep, five minutes after that eat whenever, don't eat, eat all the time. I mean, I guess that's why cruises are really great, because you just eat around the clock and don't really have anything planned except walk around a boat. I've never been on a cruise. Anybody ever been on a cruise in here? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. yeah. You don't get much sleep because you're all the time going, because there's always stuff to do during the day. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about cruises. I just I don't mind going on somebody's uh, pontoon, but a pontoon that big with like thousands of people, I'll pass. I'm not going on a cruise, Debbie. It's not gonna happen. Uh, but then sometimes, like I seriously wing it. Like, I mean, it, there'll be something that I'll uh, I'll have a Saturday roll in, and I don't have anything planned for that Saturday, and I'll just whatever feels right, I'll just do it. If I take a nap, I take a nap. Uh, but some people are, like mission trips. I take mission trips, and I'll, I'll plan those things out, but they never go according to plan, ever. They never go according to plan. Another question I got up there. Uh, I just, th- I just thought I'd get your mind going towards maybe what your forecast is for your life. What do you, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Where do you see yourself in 5 years? And if that's too far in the future for you, then I went ahead and threw in there, what do you have to get done before next week? That kind of scenario. And here's, here's where James is, is going to hit us today. Is A lot of pastors will get into this section, and they will step all over any plans that you would make whatsoever. And that's not how I'm going to roll with it. I think making plans is smart. I think making plans never, ever once, considering God's sovereignty over them, is stupid. And that's kind of going to be my thrust. Uh, so that's what this section is going to do. It's going to be to plan or not to plan. And in this My my title, Your Best Laid Plans, what actually came to mind when I was studying this section was the phrase, and I have it up there, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And that that line is taken from a poem. And actually, when I was getting this sermon together, I I read the poem. I'm not going to read the poem for you, not much for poetry. So if you like poetry, that's okay, we can still be friends, but... Uh, In in 1786, this poem was written by Robert Burns. And here's what the poem's about. A farmer is out plowing his field. And as he's plowing his field, he uh, unearths, turns up, a a nest of a mouse. And there's little baby mice in there and everything. And he basically just unearths the the whole mess and destroys it, just destroys it. And so the poem is an apology to the to the mouse is what it is and he says the the end of the poem as he says it is I know that mouse had plans and I know I had plans but honestly as this world goes the best laid plans of mice and men don't go the way we want them to and that's kinda what stuck in my my mind as I kinda wrote this sermon out and so Last week, we talked about who do you actually call your friend, and I think if you actually have Jesus Christ as your friend, you will seek out his plans. You'll think of his plans. And so this section is a good follow into what we studied last week. Most of this chapter is a warning, like it's James smacking us on the hand. But there's one verse that's in there as kind of, uh, it's not going to be as bad as you think. So before I get too far, and I feel like I've already gotten too far, uh, let's read this entire passage, and before I do, let's uh, ask God to bless our time together this morning. Lord, this morning, once again, we come to your word, we come to your perfect word, and we want to study it, Lord, we want wisdom from it, we want to know more about who you are. If you could do that for us today, that would be very kind and gracious of you. Uh, We appreciate your mercy, and uh, we appreciate your love in that matter. God, we also ask that you would reveal portions of our lives that need to be attentive, that we need to not ignore, issues of sin in our heart that need to be confessed this morning so that you can uh, begin to make restoration in our lives. God, restore to us the joy of your word and the joy of our salvation by studying it today. We love you so much, and we trust you with everything that we have. Pray this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's read. James chapter 4, starting in 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Verse 15, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast about your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. This is James's idea of getting us to think about where we are going. Verse 13 does not waste any time. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you all the negatives first, and then we'll end on a positive. That way we all have some kind of a decent taste in our mouth and we won't walk out of here with some sour, bitter feeling in our mouths. So I'm going to give you all the negatives first. Verse 13 is a negative verse 13 you live like God doesn't have a plan that's verse 13 if I summarized it you act like God doesn't have a plan you act like God is really not controlling anything and he just set this world in motion and there it spins with all its laws of physics and all its commerce and its trade and the financial district and this and that and it's all just set in motion and God just puts his feet up on a, on a, a little ottoman and kicks back and sips a sweet tea and just kind of lets it all spin. And, the, and, and people like this, they think with maybe a little luck and a little wise planning that they can just make their plans go just the way they want them. Well, I want you to know I don't believe in luck. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. And I don't know if I've said this to you before, but I I, I occasionally will say this to students. You know, like they're going for a contest, or they're going to state, or something like that. And then I'll say, hey, good luck on your contest. And then they'll say, hey, thanks. And I go, oh, by the way, I really don't believe in luck. So are you prepared for it? (laughs) And then they're like. Foster, you're so stupid sometimes. And I'm like, well, I don't believe in luck. Do you know where luck started? It originated? It went like this. So when you say good luck to somebody, and, and don't walk out of here thinking, all right, I'm, I'm committing a sin, that kind of, don't do that. If you still say good luck, good luck, right? I mean, we just had St. Patrick's Day, and you probably pinched somebody because they weren't lucky wearing green or whatever. But that's not my point. My point is this. The, People who live with a feeling that there is a fate or a luck started somewhere. And it started in Egypt. There was a god of luck. And his name was Shea. So you would wish people that the god of luck would go with them. The god of Shea. May the god of Shea go with you. And then later on in the Greeks, it was, it was Tychus. Or you might know him as Fortuna. So you would wish good fortune, the goddess of fortune, Fortuna. And so it started somewhere that people would wish people luck. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe I have a small God that needs things just to kind of happen this way or happen that way. But verse 13, people, that's how they feel. A little bit of luck and some wise planning and things are gonna go just exactly the way I want them to. I mean, if I go to college, I should get a good paying job. If I go out and I shop for a house, I'm going to fix my I'm going to set my budget, I'm going to get a house I can afford or a car. And so we get into the habit of just looking at the financial portion of our lives. And there's a couple things James wants us to think about when we make plans. That's verse 14. For for us that think we can just plan everything out. It says, "You don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you're like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes." All right, so here's what I've got on 14. Uncertainty and frailty. All right, so let me simplify this for you. You're stupid. You have no clue what tomorrow's gonna be like. That's what James is saying. You have no clue what tomorrow's really gonna be like. I always, uh, sometimes when I talk about inferences and conclusions in my science class, I ask some kid, prove to me that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. And they go through all this, well, it's here, it's there, it's wherever. And I said, well, you don't know for 100% that the sun will come up tomorrow. You're just hoping it does. And that's my point to say that nothing is really certain in our lives from our our knowledge. We don't really, really know what tomorrow is going to bring. I mean, would it be great if the weather forecast was it wasn't even 75% right? I mean, wouldn't that be nice? But as it is now, they're about 50% right. Now, if you ask a meteorologist, they're gonna tell you they're like 80% right. Do we believe that? No, we don't. We don't even know what the weather's gonna look like tomorrow, let alone things that are important. So why spend so much effort trying to control something that is out of your control? And why do people do that? It's to give themselves a false sense of hope that they can control their destiny. And I'm telling you right now, there is one person in control of our destiny, and that is Jesus Christ. You are stupid. You don't know what tomorrow looks like. And secondly, you are fragile. That's what got stuck in my mind with this, this whole, you're like a vapor that's here and then vanishes. I just thought of something that is short-lived and fragile. So I tried to get the best meaning I could out of that vapor. Now, my, the stupid side of me, I so I'm going to go back and listen to this sermon. It's going to be one of the things I shouldn't have said. But the stupid side of me says, you're, you're like a fart on a motorcycle. <laughs> That was the stupid side of me, all right? The legit side of me is you're like steam out of a cup of coffee. That's how short-lived you are. That's how fragile you are. I mean, any puff of wind or anything, and you're gone. And so James is saying you're fragile. You're the opposite of Chuck Norris. Now, I don't know about you, but in my classroom, I have Chuck Norris posters. Because I, I like Chuck Norris. I'm not ashamed of that. And so I would like to, now would be a good time to like insert a Chuck Norris joke, right? That would be the perfect time. I don't have one written down. So if I, if I insert one, it's just off, this is, this is the not planning side of me. Right? I did not plan for this, but, so a, Ch- a Chuck Norris joke. Uh, if you bump into Chuck Norris at Home Depot and he has a cart full of barbed wire, Nails and glue. What's he shopping for? Breakfast. So that, that's my Chuck Norris joke. Yeah, I should have wrote one down. Yeah, I know. I realize that. No, they're, they're all that bad, probably. So you know, you know why lightning never strikes twice, right? Because it knows Chuck Norris is looking for it, but yeah. Okay, so here's the deal. You're fragile. Most people don't think they're fragile. Until they start getting older, then they realize I am fragile. Like, one wrong step in a hole that I didn't see was there and I'm walking with a cane for two months. But when they're young, they think they're indestructible. I see it every day. They think they can take on the world that I can drive 90 to nothing and get in a wreck and just walk out. You're not. You're fragile. A tiny microbe can take you out. I mean, my wife was telling me the other day about a lady that died from the flu. The smallest little microbe you can possibly imagine killed her. Well, there's a side B, in my opinion, to verse 14 that I'm going to go ahead and mention to you that if you are listening to my words and you are a follower follower of Christ, then how does 14 change the way you look at life? Well, because you're fragile and because you're short-lived and because you're stupid, then make the best out of the day that you have. Make the best out of it. Has anybody got a bucket list? Like, do you have a bucket list? I don't have a bucket list. I don't plan that well. Uh, the farthest my bucket list goes is I ask my wife, uh, is there some plans this summer that I need to know about? And she's always, always thinking like, hey, we should take the kids and go here. We should go do this. She's always got something she's thinking she wants to do. But I really don't have a bucket list. Um, and so as I, as I read through there, there should be some things I have a bucket list for. I should have a bucket list that has God in mind. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna tell you a few things that I wrote down that I wish that I should have in my my bucket list. Not these self-centered, I'm gonna climb this mountain, or I'm gonna parachute out of a plane, or I'm gonna run a marathon. That is never gonna happen. I'm never gonna run a marathon, unless I'm being chased and I'm gonna get caught, because I'm not running a marathon. Um, Yeah. But here's my spiritual bucket list. Um, pray for one person this next year that I can be a friend to invest in them and tell them about Christ that's my bucket list be a friend to somebody who does not know Jesus Christ and not only that invest in them whether that investment's going to come good or not I don't know I'm leaving that in God's hand. Invest in them with my money and my time, and then look for an opportunity to share Christ with them. That's my bucket list. Some things that are on my bucket list that I didn't know about until I started thinking about it is I pray for my wife and kids every week. I run through. I don't know if you do this. Uh, It seems like something always interrupts our sleep, right? It seems like something. When we were younger, we purposely did it. We just stayed up all night. And when the older we got, then we got kids, and they interrupted our our night, our good night's rest. And then now that I'm older, it seems like something else interrupts it. And so there's usually a couple times a week I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and I'll just sit there, and I'll just run down my family of prayer. I'll pray for my mom, my dad, my brother-in-law, his kids, my sister, or brother-in-law, and their kids. And I just start, I just go down the list. And it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm thinking, what else am I going to do, sit here and think about all the stuff I'm going to do today at school? What a waste of time. <laughs> and uh, if I'm not careful, I will do that. I'll, I'll run through first hour, second hour, third hour, this, that, what, what time do I need to get to school? You know, What do I need to do before I get in the car? I'll run through that, the dumb stuff. and, and I got some things on my bucket list. I'd like to to study in depth the book of Genesis. I've got some time. Okay, so take verse 14 and change the way that you view time. Instead of just spending it, start investing it in something that's worthwhile, something that's eternal. All right. Skipping verse 15, because verse 15 is kind of the positive note. We'll jump to 16, and we'll read James' warning to us in 16. But as it is, you boast about your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Another problem with planning with God out of the picture is it just becomes about you. It just becomes about you. You know, people want an impressive resume, right? right? I mean, I don't, so I filled out a resume this past week. And as I looked at it, it's not very impressive. It's not, I was like looking up all these websites on things that you should put in your resume and I go, I don't have any of that, like awards. I, I don't have any awards. I, I didn't go to any cool Ivy League school. I didn't, my GPA is okay. It's not anything I would put on a resume and say, look at my GPA. You know, I didn't, my resume's not that great. Then I even went farther back in time and I said, do I have anything that I can basically say, look at me, look at this great thing I have. And even back in high school, when I had a pretty good ACT score, and I was ranked pretty good at Hillcrest High School, now, today, who cares? Who cares? My my students are always asking me, "What'd you get on your ACT? What'd you get on your ACT? What what were you where'd you go to high school? Where'd you go to college? What'd you rank? What'd you do this? What kind of scholarships did you get?" And at this point in my life, I just look at them and I say, "Who cares? Getting voted homecoming queen and senior superlatives? Who cares?" That's not what making plans is about. I wasn't even a member of NHS in high school. I couldn't even put that on a resume. I thought about it. I thought, man, is there anything? I had nothing. So here's, here's my point. If we're not careful, our plans are nothing but just making ourselves look better. That's not the goal of our life. The goal of our life is not to make ourselves increase. You know where I'm going with this. is to make Jesus Christ increase and make ourselves look little. Verse 15. This is the positive note for us. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Verse 15, God's will ultimately is really all that matters. It's really all that matters. When I come to the end of my life and people want to think about what they're going to put on my tombstone, I'm telling you it's not going to be a list of accomplishments that I can put on a resume. When I have students come back and they tell me good job for something, it is rarely ever, hey, good job for teaching me biology. Hey, good job for teaching me chemistry. It's rarely that. It's rarely that. God's will and what we think of him and his plans and how other people come in contact with it is what matters. Now, in my lifetime, I have gotten some screwed-up definitions of God's will. I'm going to tell you what they are, all right? I'm going to tell you what my screwed-up definitions are. These are incorrect. All right, so my first one is I think God's will is like some spiritual Easter egg hunt where God hides his will somewhere in my life, and I just have to search for it. And if I search for it long and hard... I will find it. And when I do, cash out, right? I, got, I finally got it. I finally found it. I might, If I just keep my eyes open, I might find God's will. Not true. Second one that's in my, hide, in my mind is God's Rube Goldberg will. Now, I'm a nerd, so that's why I said my Rube Goldberg will. OK, so a Rube Goldberg machine is this. It's a, it's, a, it's a very complicated machine that does a very simple task. Like, uh, you know, a good preacher would have put a picture up here for you to look at, but I'm not. And so the one that always comes to mind that I always flash to my students is there's a picture of a guy who is getting ready to eat some soup. And attached to the soup is a string, which is attached to a parrot. And when he pulls on the string, the parrot uh, it pulls on its tail, and then the parrot moves a little bit, and then it knocks something into a container, and then the container moves, and then it knocks something into something else and something else, and pretty soon, about 20 machineries are affected, and then it moves a napkin over this guy's mouth, and it wipes his mouth after he he eats some soup. And some people think that's how God's will is, that it's this intricate, crazy plan. And I want you to know, sometimes it's, it's very simple. It's like real simple. So here's how sometimes I've been told about God's crazy plan is it would be something like this. If God's will was like this in my life, I would be walking into my house today, and I would uh, stop and pet my dog, and then the other dog would come over and hit me in the leg, and then I would fall into the front lawn, and while I was there, I would see a quarter in front of me. And I would pick that quarter up, and on the back side of it was the country, Guam. And that's where God wants me to go be a missionary. That's God's will, right? No, it's not. And I've been told that in my life. Here's another thing I've been told in my life. God's deadly game will. Here, I'll explain this one to you. That uh, God just wants to knock you down every chance he gets. So if you surrender your life to God, it'll be nothing but pain and suffering, and He's going to send you to some place you don't want to go. He's going to have you minister to a bunch of people that you can't stand. He's going to put you in some jungle that's hot and mosquitoes and poisonous and everything wants to bite you or kill you or it's full of cannibals. That's God's will. No. Here's another thing that has been taught to me over the years, is God's crane game will. You know what the crane game is, right? Put money in there, and you're like, I want that purple dinosaur. So money in, joystick around, I got the purple dinosaur. Oh, nope, I don't got the purple dinosaur. Let's pull out another buck. And let's play this again. And and we just keep trying for that one thing we want. And people, people think that God's will is like this. I almost got it. I almost, oh, no, nope, that wasn't God's will for my life. It, it must be something else. None of these are true. None of them. God's will is a completely different story. I'm going to tell you what it is. Firstly, God does have a will, and He always has. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God does have a will, and He always has had a will. God wants you to know what it is. It's not some Easter egg hunt. He wants you to know it. Colossians 1.9, be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There's nothing about Colossians 1.9 that says it's a secret. He says, I want you to know it. Understand it, and be controlled by it. Ephesians 5.17 says, Don't be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. Not only does He have one, not only does He want you to know it, He wants you to even recognize it, and even possibly learn it. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And it's not a secret. It's not hidden somewhere. Secondly, he makes it something that we can actually achieve. Like we don't just go through our whole life as a failure. It's achievable. Ephesians 6.6 6, Do God's will from your heart. Why would he say that? Because it's achievable. He doesn't give us a pie-in-the-sky will like, go ahead and try, you're never gonna get there, but go ahead and try. No. Well, if God has a will, and he wants us to know it, and it's achievable, well then what is it? Right, that's the next question, right? What is it? I'll give it to you. The first thing I'm going to say God's will is, is that people get saved. That you repent and commit your life to His Son, Jesus Christ, through the work on the cross. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4. through four. This is a section on prayer. And he says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved. It is in His plan to save everyone. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord does not delay on His promise, as some do, but He is patient in, with you, not wanting anybody to perish, but all to repent. God's will is that people get saved. So if you're sitting here today and you're wondering, I wonder what God's will is for my life. Step number one, get saved. Commit your life to His. Second thing in God's will is to be Spirit-filled. And I told you a couple Sundays ago that when that shows up in the Bible, it's filled as in you're controlled by It's to be controlled by the Spirit. To be under God's control. Not some robot where you don't have any choice in the matter, but like a boat being blown by His wind. Ephesians 5, 17 through 18. Don't be foolish, aka don't be stupid, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk. Don't have a reckless life. Be filled with the Spirit. Have a spiritual mouth. Have a thankful attitude. Be humble. These are things that happen when we let God's Spirit control us. Be spirit filled. Thirdly, I wrote down what's God's will? is to be sanctified. Now, sanctified is a fancy word that pastors like to say for just being set apart. Just being set apart for God's service. That means he sits there and he's like, I need a good weapon to take the gospel to this place. And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a person that is set apart to do just that. I need somebody that will go to El Dorado school and tell people about me. So he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a person. Somebody that he has set apart for that job. Just like you would set apart in the Old Testament a lamb for Passover, or you would set apart an animal for your family to be a sacrifice for it, or you would set apart this loaf of bread that was an offering in the temple God sets you apart to be used by Him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-6 For this is God's will. Well, that's pretty straightforward. For this is God's will. Your sanctification. How do we be set apart? He says, abstain from sexual immorality so that each of you knows how to possess their own vessel. And be honored, not with lustful desires. This means that you will not sin against each other. Be sanctified. Now here's the issue. When I stand before people and I say this, somebody says, well how does that help me answer the questions of my life when I come to making plans? In other words, when I want to buy a house, when I want to go to college, when I want to get a car, when I want to have kids, how does this answer that? I'll tell you. It's easy. It's not a crane game. It's not an Easter egg hunt. It's not some crazy machine that's got 40 moving parts to do one simple thing. It's easy. You focus on those three things. Salvation, Spirit-filled, and sanctified, and do anything you want. Be saved. Be spirit-filled. And be set apart. And do anything you want. Go to whatever college you want. Have kids when you want. Buy whatever house you want. Get whatever car you want. You're like, this sounds too easy. That's God. Psalms 37.4 says this, one of my favorite verses. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. You know what that means? That means when you focus on being Mr. Right, or Mrs. Right, or Miss Right, then God will give you desires in your heart and then he'll make them come true. That's what happens. He will give you desires in your heart and then he'll make them come true and you won't even see it coming because all you were thinking was be saved, be spirit filled, be set apart and then God works in your life. When should I have kids? Well, be a child of God and have kids whenever you want. And I guarantee you, you're going to raise kids who know who Jesus Christ is. What college should I go to? Make God a regular part of your routine and pick any college you want. Because when you end up going to that college, guess who's going to go with you? Christ is. And there's going to be some people who don't know Him And you're going to be that weapon that he pulls out of his pocket and says, I've got a story for you. Verse 17 is my conclusion verse. So it's a sin to know the good and not yet do it. You're fragile. You're stupid. You don't know what tomorrow's going to be like. There is an, a, there's an appointment that you have with God someday. There's an appointment. And how you respond to you making plans today is going to have everything to do with that appointment that you have with Him someday. Act now, not tomorrow. Why? You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Why even have an invitation here at Tiffin Baptist? It's because of this passage of Scripture. Why have a moment where Sandra's going to come and play a song on the piano and we're going to have a moment where we can bow our heads and have a conversation with God? It's because we don't know what's going to happen when we walk out that door. Now that you know what's right, do it. Is there some way that you need to go to God today and alter your best laid plans? Do you need to start incorporating God as a part of your regular routine and planning? Now that you know what to do, what's your excuse for not doing it? I mean, what's getting in the way? Your job? People at work? Maybe you even let your family get in the way. Have some plans with God in mind. Maybe you can do that today. Sandra's going to come play a song, give you a moment with God this morning. I will close in prayer. Lord, this morning, God forgive us of taking our daily routines as just that, and not something that you can work in and among. God, forgive us of just getting up and spending our days that it's just going to work, or it's just getting up and getting ready for work, or it's just coming home and fixing dinner. God, forgive us of belittling your power to do great things in the little plans that we make And the big plans that we make. God, help us to never forget the joy of our salvation. God, give us the strength and the wisdom to be spirit filled. And God, continually, continually mold us and shape us to be sanctified for your service. God, we trust you. We trust everything to your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. From Tiffin Baptist Church, thank you for listening to this sermon. Our Sunday service starts at 1045, and we'd love to have you join us.